What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den Podcast. This is your host, Raul Clement, and as always, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Josh Smith and Dustin Shu. So Josh actually takes lead on this episode, but I just wanted to jump in and give you a little context. So as you may have heard, Duke's game at Clemson has been postponed due to positive COVID tests within the program. And there's no word yet on whether the Notre Dame matchup, which was supposed to happen a couple days after Clemson, will also be postponed. But we still wanted to get you some content. Fortunately, we had this pod we've been sitting on for a couple weeks. So on this episode, we talked to John Watson of thedevilsden.com about John Shire's recent success on the recruiting trail and how the 2022 class is shaping up. At the time of the recording, Mark Mitchell had just committed, but Shire hadn't yet landed his most recent commit, Sean Stewart, from the class of 2023. We'll be back soon with recruiting expert Steve Clark to discuss the 2023 class. But for right now, we're focused on 2022. Take it away, Josh. All right. So we're happy to have with us uh, John Watson, who's, you know, heads over the Devil's Den, used to be with Scout. Now we're over at 247. And we want to talk a little bit about John Shire's first recruiting class, really hit the ground running. Um, it's kind of ironic that we might be talking about in a few short months is this Duke's greatest recruiting class, which would be wild considering it would be his first. Um, so recently we just picked up Mark Mitchell, number 15 over at 247 going to talk a little bit about him going to talk a little bit about overall about the class in general john as we start here you know shire's got five guys wrapped kind of wrapped up already what are you what are you seeing with this class it, the pieces really fit well together um you've got you know a couple big guys a couple wings uh nice nice looking shooting guard and Derek whitehead um the only thing they need is a point guard but of course you're going to probably have jeremy roach and Jalen blakes back next year so I guess the big thing is you've got five versatile guys, um, five guys who can play multiple positions, and that's going to be important given the roster turnover we're expecting after the season. Yeah, and just recently getting Mark Mitchell, who's kind of seemed like an afterthought, you know, with with everything going on, but could really play a big role. I see some of the scouts, the 247, had an Al Camino comparison. Um, I kind of got a little Wu Aldine kind of popped up in the back of my mind for a Duke guy. Is there anybody that you see that you think uh, maybe in the last 10 years or so that that he projects to look like? From a Duke perspective, it's kind of hard. I mean, there's been a lot of six eight guys who can do a lot of things he does. Um, he's not he's not as polished as Ding was offensively. Um, you know, Lance Thomas might be a good comparison in the sense of production and role. Uh, I think Mitchell's a bit better offensively than Lance was coming out of out of high school. Uh, he's probably a little bit more explosive. Um, you know, maybe a maybe a I hate to say a poor man's, but I, I don't know. It's, I don't want to compare him to Kyle Singler, but he'll play a similar role to what Singler played in his um, upperclassman years. Um, definitely not a comparison because Singler is probably a guy who should have his number retired. Uh, but, you know, Mitchell's just, he's a left-handed guy who can do a lot of things. Uh, he can score, he can rebound, he can go off the bounce. Um, good at a lot of things, not really great at anything. Uh, and But that's the kind of guy who hopefully will stick around a couple years and, uh, and, and grow and, and become a very good player. You know, one thing you got to remember, he missed most of last season, uh, if not all of last season, if memory serves with a shoulder injury. So uh, much like AJ Griffin, um, mm-hmm. people haven't really seen him in a while, which is probably why uh, his, his rankings dropped in certain services. So, um, you know, now that he's healthy, 
Uh, Duke may have gotten a sort of sleeper uh, in the class because before he got hurt, uh, this was a top 10 kid on every recruiting service there was. Sorry, would you see him coming off the bench? Because um, we've got Filipowski and we've got Lively, so that kind of locks up the front court there, I would think. And Mitchell, I've only watched him in one game, admittedly, but he didn't really look like a three to me. He looked more like a college four. So how do you yeah, see I that? agree with that 100%. He's definitely a small ball four. Um, I can't imagine he's going to play that much at the three. Um, you know, to answer your question about who comes off the bench, I, I guess it really depends on how they fill out the roster. Right now, you're going to have two big guys on the roster with Lively and Filipowski, and that's not enough, obviously. So you know, the question is, do you start them side by side, or do you have one of those guys come off the bench? Um I tend to think John's going to go with more of a small ball lineup to start um, just with versatility and guys who can play all over the court. I think you'll start lively for sure. Um, I could see Mitchell starting at the four, not because he's necessarily a better player than Kyle, just that the way the roster is built. But again, we don't know what's going to happen as far as turnover goes, but whether he starts or not, he'll be in the top seven next year with no doubt, because really there's not going to be much outside of that right now. <laughs> yeah. For sure. For sure. And we'll, we'll jump into kind of each guy individually here a little bit, but philosophically, what do you see from this class in terms of, you know, we have nothing to go off of, but where, where we project John to be, what kind of system he might run, what kind of style of play based on this class and how they fit together. What do you kind of expect to see next year? It's, it's an interesting question. Um, I've had a couple conversations, um, we'll just say, with people close to him and close to the, to the uh, program. Uh, one thing that has been mentioned a lot is they are going to start looking and really prioritizing bringing in multiple shooters per class. That's going to be balanced with what they've been doing, which is bringing in the best possible players who fit the Duke model. Um, so it's not like they're going to stop recruiting one-and-done guys. Mm-hmm. Um but they do need to find some balance. And that was a conversation I actually had the night before Mitchell announced publicly. Uh, it was that, you know, they need to add more pieces. They need to add pieces, both short-term and long-term. So um, as far as this class goes and how he's going to utilize them, I think you're still going to see a real prioritization of guys who can play all over the court, who can defend multiple positions, and who can um, all do a little bit of everything. Um, the way this class is setting up right now, you have a lot of versatility, a lot of athleticism, but you also have a lot of youth. And one thing I think people really are going to need to wrap their heads around with this class and even 2023, 2024, these kids missed you know, a year and a half of development. Uh, with the pandemic, uh, the high school teams play in half half year seasons, not traveling, not ex- not getting exposure. Um, the summer sessions being completely a shell of what they used to be. These kids are behind developmentally. They're still very very good relative to their peers, but you know they're going to be going against guys who have been in the college system two, three, four years, and so that's something to temper maybe not expectations, but to provide some context if these kids struggle a little bit more than other freshmen. That's a great point. Um, and we've already seen the kind of parity, you know, shrink or, or expand, however you want to look at it in terms of the youth versus upperclassmen. And now we're looking at 
potentially that even becoming more meddled as, as, as ever. Um, and then when we got the NIL and who might come back and, and all that good stuff. Um, but I, I guess we'll go through the list and we'll start at the top with uh, Derek Lively. And I, I was watching a little bit of his film. Um, and it, you mentioned kind of tempering expectations. And I think when someone sees number one, beside a recruit you have a certain kind of idea or you kind of project uh what they're going to be but you know from statistically you know you could look at lively's box scores and a lot of times it doesn't really stand out you know he's not scoring a ton um he is getting rebounds he is blocking shots he's very mobile what do you see from him as you know what's going to make him that number one guy and potentially a number one draft pick well first off i don't think he's going to finish number one um you know, he wasn't number one in the class until two guys reclassified. Um, mm. That's not a knock on him. He's an incredible prospect. He's as long as he can be. He's very athletic. He's coordinated. Um, he can shoot the shoot the perimeter shot. Um, you don't want him out there all that much, but he can knock it down. Um, he's a very, very good prospect. But, you know, where he's going to make his money um, on the court is going to be after his one year at Duke. Um, you know, one, one comparison I keep hearing a lot of and that I like is Tyson Chandler. Mm-hmm. Um, of course now that's about 20 years ago, but, um, he's got great athleticism. He's very quick off the court. He's very aggressive. Um, he, he'll remind Duke fans a lot of, uh, Mark Williams now, but he's a bit more aggressive than Williams was coming into college. Of course, Mark's trying to dunk everything now, which is great mm-hmm. development. Um, but, you know, where he's really going to impact Duke next year is going to be his rim protection, his rebounding. Um, he'll, you know, he'll he'll go run lobs and, and finish around the rim. But if, if you're expecting any sort of, um, you know, Jaleel Okafor type of uh, bag of post moves, that's that's not lively right now. How, right. how real is his three-point shot? Because you see it in uh, in highlight videos, but is that just cherry-picking? No, he'll take one or two a game. I mean, uh, again, it's it, this is a kid who, you know, as a big man, you have to show that you can play all over the court this these days. I mean, you know, look at Benchero this year, 6'10", 250, and takes less than half his shots in, in the paint. Um, you, you have to show that for the pro scouts. But um, you know, is Duke going to tell him not to shoot it? No, absolutely not. But I, I think you could see maybe his – three-point percentage and attempts being something around what you saw with Vernon Carey. Uh, right. Different players, but same in the sense of how much they can shoot and at what percentage. Or even Carter and Bagley. Wendell, yeah, Wendell Carter. Yeah. yeah. Like took two a game maybe and made yeah. a good percentage, but it was like if they were wide open. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're not going to see him you know, trailing a break and all of a sudden pull up from the outside. I could see like a, a little bit of Evan Mobley as a recent guy that kind of just projects in the same ballpark of uh, good in college, shows some stuff and then gets to the NBA and just the way it opens up who he's playing with really kind of uh, elevates him a little bit. But uh, well, I think that's fair. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we get to see some of it at Duke, but college defense and offense is just so much different um, that, you know, it just gets so bogged down. But so moving to my favorite guy of the class, Derek Whitehead, uh, number four, he seems to kind of continue to move up. Um, and if we keep doing these pods, you'll notice that I'm just a sucker for a two way wing. It's just my favorite player type. 
But this guy seems, you know, like he's got some star potential, especially after seeing his last game. The three-point shot looks good uh, off the catch, off the bounce. He seems to kind of be a, to be able to do a little bit of everything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's going to be the best freshman on the team next year. I, I think he may even be, depending on who comes back, the go-to guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just – he's that guy. Um, can handle the ball, can pass – He's got potential to be a very good defender. He's athletic, and he's got that mentality that you see with Banchero this year. You saw with Barrett a couple years ago. Just a guy who's going to attack and attack and attack. Yeah, I saw the the scout uh, comparison. that They put Jarrett Culver, which to me was kind of a little like, you know, I don't know how many people are that familiar with Jarrett Culver. He's kind of gotten buried out in Minnesota. Um I was seeing from what I've watched of him, I think kind of like a ceiling of Paul George. Obviously, that's a lot. But in terms of just body type, how he plays, um, get up and down both sides of the ball. Is there anybody that you think that, you know, he kind of projects as? At Duke, maybe a a little less of what I mean, RJ had one of his one of the greatest freshman seasons ever. Um, Maybe not quite that level. Somewhere between him and Maggetti, maybe. Um, You know. Gerald Henderson is a junior, maybe. Uh, he's bigger than one. Gerald. That's a good one. Yeah, but yeah I, like I that. can see something the year that, right? as far as production goes. What was that shoot? Was Gerald ACC Player of the Year's junior year? Might that would have been, been 09. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That was his last year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty well, sure. Well, no, it couldn't have been. It would have been never. I don't even want to. Yeah, that would have been Hansborough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. yeah. Not supposed to mention him. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, they connected in the last game of the season. No, uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> got ACC player of the year for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. From what I've seen of Whitehead, he looked a lot more athletic than a guy like Culver. That's why I didn't like that comparison. And even Paul George is a lot more floor bound. Whitehead is like blindingly fast and can mm. really jump too. Yeah. Good, good athlete. Um, like, like John mentioned, I think he projects to be one of the top defenders in the class. I've seen, I've seen some reports where he's been labeled the best defender in the class. We'll see. Uh, Next guy, number seven, um, Kyle Filipowski. So another big man and kind of a little tidbit, as I'm pretty sure Kyle and John, you can back this up or not, uh, played for Andy Borman, former Duke walk-on for the early 2000s squad. Yeah, I believe that's true. So he kind of got funneled down here a little bit. Um, You know, I I guess... he grew up a Duke fan. Yeah, that's true. Um, And he's got three brothers or two brothers. I think they all play. So just the the whole Mm -hmm. family's involved there. Um, what, what should we expect from him? You know, I think he's getting those kind of stereotypical European modern big, the, you know, insert Ryan Kelly, insert Matt Hurt comparisons. Um, what do you see from him that, that we think that Duke fans should be looking for? Josh McRoberts with, without the attitude. Mm, that would be nice. That yeah. would be nice. I mean, <clears throat> maybe not quite as bouncy as McBob's was, but just as much of a passer. Um, he passes a lot like Mason did. Um, he can shoot the three. He's, he's just a really smart basketball player and he's, he's very mobile for his size. Um, Josh had a really solid handle for that size is Kyle pretty comparable in that aspect as well. Like probably not quite as much. Um, if memory serves, Josh grew, um, just like Kyle did, um, you know, one of his big growth spurts. But, um, it, I mean, he can handle the ball. Will he handle the ball at college? No. But, you know, in the high post, running high lows and kind of 
being the guy who can be kind of a uh, like a uh, kind of like a hub and spoke of an of an offense i can definitely see that yeah i like that um it, it's kind of weird a little bit to me i was just thinking that uh you know duke was like the king of the small ball modern nba stuff like what the nba is doing now was basically duke circa you know 2007 to 09 somewhere and we've kind of went back a little bit more to maybe not traditional bigs but playing two bigs together um and it seems like you know john's kind of wanting to do that as well next year um with those two guys you mentioned mark mitchell do you think we'll see more of the the twin towers set and getting spacing from the bigs versus going smaller to get spacing i think it just depends on the roster i mean like this year you have to play williams you have to play Ben Chero, mm-hmm. um primarily because the point guard play is not elite right now um yeah it really wasn't elite last year obviously Hmm. Um, and then we start going back and you had, uh, I guess, Vernon Carey that, that year. Um, and he was, he was beside hurt, I believe as a freshman, but hurt was just kind of there. Yeah. Um, Carter and Bagley, you know, Carter was supposed to be the guy. Uh, and then Jeff Capel talked to Papa Bagley in June of that year and, started cooking up the reclassification thing. I mean, quite honestly, if it had been reversed, there's no way Wendell Carter would have gone to Duke in my opinion. Um, And so I I don't know that that team was meant to have those two bigs as they did. And you can actually make an argument after a while that they played better when Bagley was out Mm -hmm. um, with Carter's the post. Um, But then of course you had to have, I think that was the year Duvall was the point guard. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's just all kinds of things. I mean, I, I think John's big thing is going to be to get increased shooting. Um, he definitely wants versatility. You know, if, if the two of the five best players in the rotation are traditional big guys, he'll play them. But I, I think he's really going to champion getting spacing um, and he's going to champion getting elite guard play. That doesn't mean you're, you're going to want a guy like, you know, a, uh, to hate to use the Carolina analogy, but doesn't mean you have to have Ty Lawson or Raymond Felton or somebody like that. But a guy like Joel Berry or a guy like Tyus Jones, um, Trey Jones, you know, guys who can run the offense, who can score when they need to. Um, I think that's going to be the priority with John. Um, that being said, if he can land two top five big men, he's going to do it. Um, mm. And then they're going to figure out the the pieces later. I mean, you know, the big thing for them is going to be early on, in my opinion, they've got to balance short-term and long-term because at some point, Krzyzewski is going to fade from being a pillar of the program to being kind of a shadow in the program. And how does that affect the recruiting? We'll have to see. But I think John is pragmatic enough to understand that he's got to have guys who are going to be there for more than a couple of years. Um, you want a couple of Wendell, Wendell Carters, a couple of Joey Bakers, um, even Jeremy Roaches and that kind of stuff. And then you can sprinkle in the top flight guys. Um, right. Because he, I don't think he can survive constantly bringing in seven, eight, nine guys a year. It just, you just don't have continuity for that. Yeah. And it's interesting too, that Filipowski has kind of almost went out of his way a little bit to mention several times that he's kind of this multi-year guy or he's coming in thinking of multi multi-years. Do you see that? And, and honestly, in this day and age, I don't think you can prepare for that. But is he someone that you think could be 
in Durham as a sophomore, junior, dare we say senior? If he's there as a senior, something's wrong. <laughs> um, that being said, yeah, I can see him playing multiple years. I mean, you know, he's if he strikes and the iron gets really, really hot, he he needs to go. And if he does go, that means Duke has been very, very good, probably. Um, you know, he's going to have the stereotypes that you mentioned earlier. Uh, he's going to have to overcome them, and he's going to have to show that he can be not only an NBA player, but a long-term NBA player. Uh, one thing about him is he's very, he's both self-assured and self-aware. Um, so, you know, I could definitely see him sticking around. I can see Mitchell sticking around. Um, the other kid, uh, Jaden shoot, I, I think he's definitely going to stay around three, four years. Um, I, you know, I, I think he can, he will definitely be there more than a year, but again, if, um, if he gets, you know, a promise somewhere in the top 20, he's gone, uh, as any kid would be. Can I ask you this, John? Um, you know, it's a new day and age in college basketball, the NIL area era. Um, you know, could Kyle stick around maybe longer than he would otherwise because of NIL now? I guess it depends on how marketable he is. Um, you know, and that's going to be a personality thing. That's going to be analytics uh, that he's been shown. Um, I can tell you the uh, name image likeness was a huge part of the Mark Mitchell recruitment. I mean, huge. They spent, uh, according to the people I talked to, they spent about five hours one day sitting down with him and his family going over. The, the, obviously, they can't make promises of this is what you'll make. But what they can do is say, look at the Duke brand, hit your wagon to the Duke brand. This is what it does for your brand. Um, so, you know, I think that's something that will always be an appeal for Duke. Duke has been preparing for NIL for five to 10 years now. Um, nobody has a stronger brand in college basketball. And I don't think anybody's nearly as innovative as they are. Um, that being said, I don't think guys like, you know, Joey Baker or Jalen Blakes are rolling in cash right now. Um, you know, it's, it's really just a matter of, and, you know, they're still figuring out NIL, really. I mean, Wendell Moore got that deal with Bojangles, and I have no idea how much he's making, but he's definitely not bringing in, you know, seven figures like Ben Chero has reportedly. Do you see that being an issue in the locker room at all, you know? Yeah, so that's a really good question, and I've never gotten a straight answer from it. I don't think it's I don't think it's a big issue. Um, but let's go back a couple years. Um, you know, a guy like Marvin Bagley's dad, um, would that rub rub people the wrong way? Yeah, I think absolutely. And I can name a number of recruitments over the last couple of years where they had um we'll use the famous entourage um classification for you know mm -hmm. parents coaches advisors whatever um who who would have been rubbed the wrong way and so you know again i think it's so new right now that is uh something that'll need to be navigated for that being said the amount of work duke does to vet these kids to vet their situations is i mean it's harder to get a passport <laughs> you know they just <laughs> they they make sure and, and they ask questions and they figure out who it is they're recruiting, who it is they're, they're attaching their brand to. And, um, you know, right now, I, I don't think there's been any issues. I mean, and, and let's be honest, if, if you're a Duke basketball player, you're, you're very well taken care of. I mean, right. you know, for six of the eight months you're in college, you're 
you're eating catered meals three times a day. You know, you're getting all the latest technology, all the latest stuff from Nike, all the latest equipment you need to be a student athlete at Duke University. I mean, not to mention during the season, you're on chartered jets, staying at five-star hotels. I mean, it's like you're you're kind of living the life. So, I mean, they all know they have it pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, and it also kind of like... I think as fans, sometime we inflate what NIL could be for Duke. Um, Cause I don't think there's a cap on what they can make, but it's never going to compare to what I would imagine an NBA contract is going to look like even that rookie scale contract. Um, oh, not even close. Right. And at Duke, I, I'm thinking too, that even if you're like, you know, a good freshman coming back for a sophomore year, the fan in us would think that, well, that person's going to, you know, be, they can come back for NIL. But at Duke, that person's going to be competing with that top-ranked freshman coming in, saying, "No, he's yeah. going to get the money because he could be the draft pick that you weren't." True, basically. Yeah. So it, I don't know if, how much it help. Um, you but know, does, hopefully does, we'll see. It does seem like if you were kind of a marginal NBA prospect, just being able to make even if it was thirty grand or something, you know, maybe that's maybe I'm way overestimating what somebody could make. But even if it was that, that might be enough to incentivize you to come back versus going to the G league and just, you know, playing for the DJ Stewart kind of right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, that's kind of the question, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm of the personal belief that DJ Stewart has ruined his chance to ever play in the NBA. Um, Trayvon Duvall will never play in the NBA. I mean, okay. He had a cup of coffee and played two minutes with Milwaukee, but you know, that's hardly what you expect from what you saw him in high school. Frank Jackson's done well, but it's taken him what four or five years now. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, there's there's an argument to be made that if you're going to go to the G League and you're not going to go as a like Jalen Johnson was in the G League re- recently, but he's got a first round guarantee. He's making three four million dollars this year. That's a lot different than DJ Stewart this year, who's going to make you know thirty five thousand dollars this year. And he's riding a bus somewhere in the Midwest to go play in a high school gym. Mm. I mean, mm. now you add in the NIL at Duke, and let's say you make the same thirty grand, but the difference is you're you've got the brand of Duke behind you, and maybe that gets you a higher draft pick to where next year, instead of being year two of the G League, making another thirty some grand, maybe now you're a second round pick or a first round into the first round pick. I mean. You know, no amount of money in the NIL is going to make DJ Stewart gain 25 pounds and become a better basketball player. I mean, that's development. He's going to either do it in the G League or he's going to do it at Duke. I just think NIL would make it a lot more comfortable to be at Duke than to be playing somewhere in, you know, Sioux Falls and well, you know, riding not to a mention bus. you're on national TV every night or every game. Correct. Again, charter buses or charter planes. To, to, you know, different venues around the country instead of a bus ride through the Middle East or, you know, yeah. wherever we're at. Mm-hmm. Correct. And that's, that's I think that's who's going to be impacted. Um, you, you know, I mean, Zion Williamson probably could have made three to five million dollars at Duke. Um, but that's because he's a once in a generation player. I mean, R.J. Barrett could have made a, a, over a million dollars, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because he had the international appeal plus the reputation plus the production, a guy like Gary Trent, uh, you know, uh, Quinn Cook, 
DJ Stewart, uh, Matthew Hurt, even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a guy like Trevor Keels, you know, if you're factoring in him, maybe coming back for that, how much is there for him? Yeah, he's who not knows? coming back. Yeah. So who knows what's even there? So um, you, you, uh, you think, uh, AJ and Keels and Moore are all gone right now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, of all of them, obviously I think AJ would benefit the most from coming back. Right. Um, he, not for any other reason than he needs to get healthy. Um, he needs another year. Um, and you know, look at what they did with Wendell Moore. You hear ESPN talk about it all the time. They changed his the way he walks. Well, AJ's had significant knee injuries, and he is just he's he doesn't trust himself yet. You can see it. I mean, this is a kid who used to attack the rim, and now I mean, you even saw it in the Ohio State game. He he caught the ball in the wing and actually had a chance to go to the basket, and he throws up like an old man at the Y floater from ten <laughs> feet out, and just it's just a weak attempt. Yeah. And this is a kid who's got a 45 inch vertical and is built like a Mack truck. And he's, he's playing like, you know, someone who's attending K Academy. Right. Um, That's not him. And Duke is not going to sit around and wait for him. You know, he's had eight games and whether it was the knee injury in the preseason or not, he's just, he's not clicked yet. And so, you know, next year, He'd be the guy, but you know we'll see. But yeah, as far as Moore and Keels go, yeah, I think I can't imagine Moore is going to be a fourth-year senior. Um, at some point, you have to go when your stock is as high as it's going to be, and if he keeps averaging whatever it is, seventeen six and six, or you know whatever it is, that's pretty much going to be the cap on his production. Um, and I mean, it's a terrible analogy, but he doesn't want to end up being Chris Carrawell. Um, sure. Carrawell becomes the ACC player of the year and then has a cup of coffee as a reserve in the NBA and is done. Um, you know, I'm sure Wendell wants to play a lot more. And so if he maximizes everything this year, I think he's, he's definitely gone and he's doing that right now. Keels, uh, one of the big reasons he came to Duke was to be one and done. I mean, he said that when he committed. That was the big pitch Krzyzewski made to him. Um, and they've put the ball in his hands, and he's shown that even though he's shooting terribly over the last couple of games, he can still play point guard. He's He can defend. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that they're going to wait another year with him. And he plays like a pro. Well, he plays like someone who thinks he is a pro. I don't know whether he will mm-hmm. be or, or he won't be, but very confident, right? He just has that inning, that mindset, um, which – you don't see from AJ, you know, if you gave that mentality to AJ, I think we'd see a heck of a different player right now, but just the timing, the confidence, it's just, it's just not there. Yeah. And that's, it's understandable. He's missed the last two years. Yeah. I mean, it's all the highlights of him playing with the NBA guys. That's great. But, you know, we saw Cassius Stanley killing it in the drew league out West. It took him some time for, you know, he eventually became a very good player, but again, these are pickup games. These aren't competitive games. And, you know, to your point earlier, when we were talking about other guys, I think AJ's best days will be in the NBA. Um, I don't think you'll ever see his best at Duke, Mm -hmm. but, you know, is he willing to wait another year where Duke's medical staff and physical staff can help him uh, recapture who he was? 
that that's kind of the big question, but I can tell you right now they're recruiting as if they're all gone. Okay. Yeah. And I guess that's a perfect segue of, so we have five guys, five in the top 55, four in the top 15. Is John done or is he still trying to bring more guys in? What kind of, how big of a class do you think this ends up being? Two or three more guys. Um, so that's, that's seven to eight guys. Yep. Is that's that about as direct a quote or? as I can say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Two to three more guys. Yeah. So not done then. Um, Absolutely not done. Do you think those Signals guys will of, come from, do you think those guys will come from high school or Shu just asked this, but uh, from high school or through the portal? Both. Um, I think they're done in 22. Um, there's a couple guys who could reclassify potentially from 23. I know people are saying Caleb Foster and he could do it. I, I don't think he's ready. I mean, um, that's just me though. And I'm, I'm not the basketball professional. I just, I just watch these guys and, you know, pass along what I hear, but mm -hmm. potentially, I guess he could come in. Um, I'm not really sure his skill set fits with what they need. Um, not unless Jeremy Roach is going to become a much, 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 much better shooter. Um, because, you know, Foster is a big guard. He can guard, he can, he can, he kind of reminds me of the point guard for um, who transferred from Florida to Gonzaga, Nebart. Um, mm. Really steady guy could play play a big role, but is he ready to come in and play 33 minutes a game at the high high major level? I don't see it. I mean, he will be after another year, but you know, maybe they go with him. Um, they got a couple other kids that in 23 that probably could reclassify. Um, I think they definitely hit the portal for a an experienced big man like a Veteran. true center like another um, John. just so that uh, yep. Filipowski and, and Lively can play with one another in practice instead of against each other all the time um I think they also need to find a shooting guard who can ex who can play minutes um yeah and, and who can be ready to go um you know they need to find another Seth Curry in the in the portal in my opinion mm. um you know, one of the conversations I had after Mitchell or right before Mitchell committed, um, if we're being honest, um, is that, you know, how do you recruit this day and age in the portal? You know, in the, in the past, especially when your priority is you want guys that are come in for this year, but you also want guys who are going to come in for several years. But how do you do that? If you're recruiting in the portal the guy, the guy coming in needs to be able to contribute. Well, if he's coming in to contribute, he wants to be on the biggest stage and he wants to be the star. How does that fit in with the kids you have coming in? And, you know, how do you define that role for him? And that's much different than a couple of years ago when you recruited a Rodney Hood, you recruited a Seth Curry, and those guys had to sit out a year. Mm -hmm. um, not having that year off now, it just makes it differ difficult because – they want to hit the portal to get guys who are going to buy into the Duke culture, buy into the Duke message and who aren't looking to just be, you know, let me go from, you know, Midwest directional school where I'm scoring 30 a game to I'm going to come in and be the starting shooting guard at Duke. Um, you know, that's tough at times and not tough if you're just trying to plug and play, but very tough if you're trying to establish continuity for the next couple of seasons, which is what they need to do. So, um, you know, to answer the question, I think you're going to see at least one or two out of the portal, maybe a reclass, and maybe they take a flyer on an international guy like a Jack White or a Marty Poshis or something like that. Just somebody who can 
come in, help them, help on the uh, blue team, and eventually, hopefully, get into the rotation. Yeah. Um, just two quick kind of follow ups, and then I'll let you get out of here. First one. What is John selling these guys? What what do you think his pitch is that it's allowed him to bring in such a, a studded class right off the heels of K retiring? I think it's the fact that Duke has been for at least four or five years now. You've seen the advent and the push and the establishment of the whole brotherhood thing. You know, it's you're going to come in, you're going to play on college basketball's biggest stage. You're going to be on ESPN every game. You're going to always be in the limelight. Um, you know, you had Cameron Indoor Stadium. You had Coach K. You had the Brotherhood. You had all the things that go into making Duke basketball. Duke basketball used to be about Coach K. Now the Brotherhood is the big thing. Coach K is a pillar of that, and that makes it easier to sell the fact that you're going to have a young guy who really played for Duke, understands what Duke is. Uh, and Coach K is still going to be there. He's still going to, you know, be in the background in the shadows. I mean, he's really helped with this class in that in that capacity. Um, but just because the head coach in-game guy is changing doesn't mean the Duke brand is changing, doesn't mean it's being devalued. Um, that's what they're selling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's working. I mean, yeah. because – you know, you look at this year and it's it's all about Coach K, but even still last year when they were terrible, it's still Duke. Duke's on TV all the time, even though they're a bad team. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's been a work in progress for many years. Um, that's why Duke Blue Planet started when it did. That's why they now have a huge in-house production team, in-house social media team. Dave Bradley does a fantastic job getting their message out. Um that's not going to stop just because Coach K is now going to be uh, in the stands as opposed to on the sidelines. Right, for sure. Um, and and speaking of that, then, and I don't think a whole lot's been said about the staff next year. I think most of us are just assuming that John, Nolan, Sewell, and I'm guessing Emil will, will be there. Is, is that kind of what you're hearing too, or should we expect one of those other guys to take a job somewhere? Unless uh, Coach Carroll gets a head coaching gig somewhere, I have no doubt that it'll be John um, Carroll, Nolan. I think Emil will probably stay in his role as as is right now. Um, I have to think John's going to look to get a more experienced guy on the bench um, to help with everything from X's and O's to reading game flow, just someone who's been there before. Right. Um, I don't think you can have a bunch of guys who are essentially assistant coaches, recruiters being the only coaches on the roster. Um, Not that they're not all very good basketball minds, but you need balance. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I've, I've written about this a couple of times, but, you know, I'd watch what happens with Northwestern. Um, You know, they've got a new athletic director there. Do they try is Chris hasn't been tearing it up there. Uh, you know, does Chris Collins um, come home? Wojo? Does, you know, obviously not unless he loses his job. But right. Wojo's out there. Um, you know, there's there's a couple other guys in the coaching tree. Um, and then, you know, John's got his connections from his days in Chicago and everything else. So um, my strong suspicion is that they'll bring in an older, more experienced coach to help out on the sidelines. 
Yeah, that would be nice. Um, and obviously, you know, John, way better than we do. Do you see this as kind of the dream job K 2.0, not in terms of production and accomplishments, but in terms of longevity, or do you see, could you see John potentially five, 10 years down the road, taking that Lakers offer instead of turning it down? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, I, I will tell you, um, I, I had talked to him a while ago, um, right after all this happened. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I, I, I told him, I said, um, you know, doesn't it feel weird? I mean, doesn't it feel weird to be referred to as the head coach? Because for me, who covered him when he was the high school junior, I'm going, this is weird. This is just weird. And his response was, it, sometimes he, he, it takes him a second to take it in, but it feels right. Um, this is a guy who accepted the job before uh, Nina King offered him a salary. He accepted the job before any of that. She called him and said, would you like to be our head coach? And it was kind of like, yes. Um, I, I think this is what he wants. And I think he wants to be here. And I think he's he's not afraid of, of the challenge. Um, and he very much wants to be at Duke. And he definitely wants to not only maintain where Duke is, he wants to grow it. I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of uh, evolutions and changes over the next couple of years for the better. Um, I think he's going to give a little bit more autonomy to some of his assistants. I think he's going to give more autonomy to the social media staff. I, I think Duke's going to continue to innovate under him uh, and not just try to maintain. And it sounds like he's got the support from the alumni and the brotherhood too. And from what I've seen from all the guys that have reached out or said anything publicly, um, they seem to support John as, as the head coach. And hopefully that continues to, to be a fruitful pipeline. Oh, I don't think there's any doubts. Um, he's very well liked. And he's very smart, and uh, he knows what Duke is. He knows what Duke has been, and he has a very defined um, opinion of where he wants Duke to go, and he believes he's the guy to take it there. That kind of confidence and and that kind of um, self-assurance is just incredibly rare, and they got the right guy. Um, If they they weren't going to look outside the family and get Brad Stevens – uh, John's definitely the guy and he may have been the guy over Stevens anyway. Uh, we'll never know, but, uh, so far it's hard to argue with the results, um, in the one aspect of, you know, what he's been asked to do, which is recruiting. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think the future is definitely bright. Um, lots to look forward to still got the rest of this year. Uh, but, but John, thanks for coming on and, uh, talking a little bit about Shire's first class. Uh, I think we're all excited about that and kind of amped up here to look forward to, to ACC play. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks for having me, guys, and looking forward to doing it again. This is Raul jumping in once again to thank John Watson for all his insight and support. The Devil's Den podcast will be back in less than a week with more exciting content for you. In the meantime, if you want to know more about Duke recruiting or just want to chop it up with other passionate Duke fans, head on over to thedevilsden.com at 247 Sports. We hope you enjoyed this, and thanks for listening. And as always, strong faces and verve.